Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will raise a little bit of a counterpoint, though, which is that, as I was saying, well, think about the fact, think, think of how long writing had been around by this point, and literature, and novels. And so it wasn't the medium of the book that allowed Joyce to do this. It's just the way that he decided to approach it, of course, as part of a broader historical context and, and literary uh, tradition. Um, in other words, uh, it, and this won't ultimately answer your question, but just another way to think about it is that, again, there's probably a Joycean way that you could approach film, or there's a Joycean way that you could approach a new novel today. Um, so I don't know how you could necessarily incorporate the internet into that, but uh, again, and not, not just trying to gas you guys up, but like, I feel like a lot of the efforts in the sync world, which I have only dabbled in a little bit, well, a lot in terms of my personal research, but, you know, I'm not, you know, I've listened to probably 10 different 42 minute podcast episodes, for instance, and seeing a lot of different videos that are posted on the website. Um, but a lot of that, I feel, is in this tradition of Joyce. In fact, it was when I went and read Joyce that I thought, oh, I kind of understand better now what these guys are doing. Um, and now I think that there's much more of like an investigative approach, probably, on the sync book, although that's not entirely true. There's plenty of just creative things that are being done. Um, but I was gonna say, it's not that Ulysses is like an investigative piece. It's obviously creative, uh, artistic, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's almost like a mode of engaging that you could approach any medium with. I think about David Lynch, that this, this kept coming to mind to me, some of the images in Lynch's films felt very just um, related here. And um, like, did you guys see the Twin Peaks season three? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and with the whole montage and the whole thing with the bomb, when the bomb gets dropped and like the, it just felt to me it, in a sense of it's, it, was, it was hitting at another level of symbol. It's like, it wasn't really sensical. Maybe it's how I took in Ulysses, just like listening to them, reading it and then watching this movie, which is surreal, but it just felt there was some surrealist qualities to how I took in Ulysses this time and with, with David Lynch. Actually, last time uh, Dennis pointed out that there's a character in this book called Lynch too. <laughs> you know, oh. so he, he 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 brought up that point exactly. What you're saying, you know, like uh... you know, I I've got to point out on that idea of weird names and and, and correspondences. So a, a couple things, and sorry to take it a different direction, but at least for a moment, um, the this the scholar Tyndall. Um, he was traveling in Paris in the 20s, like in 1925, and that's where he encountered Ulysses. He bought it because it was banned in the United States, so it wasn't available. And he would later go on to be um, a Joycean scholar. And, you know, he was teaching it in America while the book was still banned, and his students had to go to the library and, and use his copy to read it. 
um, he found he realized later that he had bought it on Bloomsday in Paris, 1925, June 16th. Um, And then another thing, because of his paper, I encountered this collection at Yale University, which is one of the top four or five collections on Joyce in the world. And it's called the Slocum Collection. Same spelling as the ship that went down in New York, but it's named after John J. Slocum who um, is is somebody who was was involved in an agency of government in the U.S. and just had a very private interest in Joyce and became um, a contributory scholar on Joyce as well and and had a personal and professional relationship with Ezra Pound, uh, received the collection of correspondences between Pound and Joyce, which is part of what constitutes this collection at, at Yale um, and and went on to then uh, contribute to the U.S. Pavilion at Expo 67 in Montreal, where they uh, which, which is includes this geodesic dome um, by Buck, Buckminster Fuller. And I, I was trying to search for it while you were talking, SJ. I couldn't find it, but I know Marshall McLuhan had some kind of direct um, uh, involvement in that as well. So yeah, there's, there's a great book. If you want to look into that, um, the kind of connection between Joyce and pound and Buckminster Fuller, um, it's called the pound error by uh, Hugh Kenner, which is amazing book. If you're into like, just like intense kind of almost psychedelic, um, literary criticism, that's an mm. incredible book. Can you put that in the chat? Sure. Yeah. I yeah, put the, uh, the movies in the chat. I, I really would encourage you, Zora. Have you seen the 1967 adaptation? Yeah, yeah, I think I have. Okay, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Um, uh, yeah, I I should watch it again. I I um, I remember liking it, but uh, because I was reading the book, I guess it was like uh, you know how that is when you read a book and then you watch a movie and then it's like uh, uh it's, <laughs> it's it's good, but it's not as great as the book you know sure, <laughs> so, sure sure yeah, sure i sure. kind of i i, I kind of saw it as like a like a period piece almost you know like um which i i realize it has to be in a certain sense you know um like it, it's set in a particular place at a very particular time you know so it has to be a period piece but um it seems like with ulysses a lot of people who get caught up in it are really into the kind of set and setting of it and not the uh, not the sort of universal quality of it. Um, this is something we talked about with uh, Bill last time. Bill brought up a similar idea, as you're saying, SJ, is, is like, um, will this book ever become dated? Because it's, obviously it is dated, like it's like June 16th, 1904. Will it ever get to a point where it's, it's so anachronistic that it's, it's gonna be completely irrelevant? because he brought up the fact that there are so many references in this book to old songs and old plays and, and like um, all of this stuff that people at that time would, would have known about that modern people, it, it means absolutely nothing to them. And so his point was that we're losing a lot of the detail, slowly, slowly, slowly losing all this detail in it. 
Um, yeah. But then you it. went. So like, this is the thing that I was thinking about earlier is like, when does, when does a, a narrative become a religious text? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, like you, yes. you, you went and, and you've walked in Bloom's footsteps, you know? So like that makes it, that makes the story real, even though it's not real, it, it's like real. And you remake the myth with, you know, like your own details. Yeah. Did you see <laughs> the craziest thing? Did you see that, uh, that, that one photo I have, I, uh, I, I took a picture of, um, I traced into the sand at Sandy Mount. I am, uh, <laughs> you know, like it, how he does that in the, uh, yeah. in the Naushka episode. Um, so I did that and, and it really felt like I was there with him at that point, you know, it, it seems very, very silly, you know, but in a, in a certain way, but it, it's like, uh, I think that's such a profound thing. I am, ah, like, I am alpha, you know, like that, mm -hmm. that is, we get back to Borge again, you know, it's like, Adam, uh, that's, Cadman, that, ah. that, that's everything, you know, the, the Aleph, um, like Borges story. Um, so, but uh, yeah, just being, being there and seeing those actual sites, it was, it was, it was amazing. It sort of brought a lot of it home. Um, but then, like I said before, it's being in Trieste, it, a lot of the spirit of it, is still there in Trieste more even than Dublin. I think. I, I'll never forget the picture of a big slice of cheese on that bread. Or I was like, I was going through your pictures, like, what the fuck is that? And then I looked, yeah. and it, it was like a big chunk of cheese. I was like, dang, that's is that like a local cuisine? <laughs> you know, like, that's the that, Eucharist. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the um, uh, that's the uh, uh, gorgonzola and burgundy that he orders at, at that restaurant still exists a davy burns restaurant okay. and you can it, and it's not even on the menu like i i sort of expected like uh um it would say like leopold bloom special or something but uh -huh. you still it's it, there's nothing there's no mention of it on the menu you have to order each of those things separately glass of burgundy gorgonzola sandwich <laughs> you know wow. i actually really like that's great um, one other synchronicity i just uh, earlier just if Eric, you were mentioning like some of these linguistic synchronicities. Molly, you guys just traced the whole thing about the drug and that's MDMA, Molly. Yeah. Has anybody yeah, yeah. connected that? It's like, it's like an ancient drug and everybody's doing it. And, you know, um, it seems to fit there here. One other synchronicity I'll just mention, you know, Bloomsday, we have a date, right? 16 June, 2022. So Eric, you've made this connection between is it the writer of the uh, of the academic document you've been reading from? That's when he got his text um, on Bloomsday. Yeah, he just happened to buy it uh, on Bloomsday and only realized it later. Uh huh. Because this is how on the last show we did, we had this like real synchronistic breakthrough that June sixteenth in the nineteenth century was the day that um, Frankenstein was downloaded. A lot of this party where the Frankenstein events happened on Bloomsday in like eighteen whatever the thirty something or whatever it was. Oh, really? Eighteen thirty-two or then, it, uh, yeah, Frankenstein and Dracula basically, and uh, and and that crazy apocalyptic poem by Lord Byron, all around the same time. And I, I just want to mention here quickly the symbol because anytime you have a date. We just go right to the sun. So in astrological systems, because the sun is consistently in the same place of the, of the zodiac on any day of the year, and you have a gem at late Gemini is where that sun is, and so we're now back to Hermeticism, 
uh, as Mercury is the ruler of Gemini. So maybe there's something about this part of the year uh, with this kind of opening for kind of, I mean, everything we've been talking about, media, language, mixing, rematching, meaning, all of this is very mercurial. And then of course, hermetic, if you want to think about the... Well, the other um, side, uh, SJ, um, Molly Bloom's birthday is September 8th, I think it is. So she's a, she's a Virgo, which is Virgo. as well, you know? Like, yeah, there you um, go. Um, so cool. I just throw in a couple of synchronicities out there that I, that I, that I, you know, I, I like this style of, of a conversation when we're just kind of pulling threads and finding sinks and things like that. Um, well, well, since we are commemorating the hundred year anniversary of, of two, two, 22, um, it's worth pointing out in the Circe episode that, uh, that, uh, Stephen and Bloom have an exchange about the number 22. Mm, yeah 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 and and i don't know if this would have been in the original serial version of it or i don't know how long um uh joyce was planning on publishing the book on that date of that year but he says um bloom says that wheel there was there is an accident fell and cut it 22 years ago i was 16 again also interesting that it's a date that involves an accident um, and Stephen says, uh, C moves, to, moves to one great goal, which I think is a reference to his earlier, um, commentary on the nature of history moving toward God. Yeah. 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 And he says, C moves to one great goal. I am 22 too. 16 years ago, I 22 tumbled 22 years ago. He 16 fell off his hobby horse. He winces, hurt my hand somewhere, must see a dentist. Money? Anyway, just uh, I, I loved that, especially considering what we were what we're doing tonight. The 22 thing, like we talked about all, all of that, I think, last time, but it's it's worth bringing it up again. Like a like a 16 6 is 22. June 16th is 22 as well. You know, like the 22 runs all the way through this book, you know. Um, and it's of course if we're talking about uh, adam cadmon and then and the whole kabbalistic tradition yeah, yeah. you've got the 22 well, in the in the, in the, the fact of life he, the tarot yeah the fact that he was he put this book out like um this is the 100th year anniversary of the book ulysses but it's also the 140th anniversary of joyce so when he put this book out he was 40 years old which is Traditionally, we know it's like uh, that is the age at which you could start to study the, the Kabbalah, you know, like. A, um, oh, yes, yes, you're right. And here's just a funny thing from contemporary times. The, the news came out that Tom Brady may be retiring. Um, and it, it, he'd had this was his 22nd season in the NFL. He's 44 years old and he was born in 1977. And he's Irish Catholic. <laughs> so I just thought that was uh, funny timing. Well, that's, that, that's so amazing because uh, Bill and I, Bill Klaus and I, we always around this time, um, uh, around this time of the Super Bowl, which is 2-2, which is you know, there's always some synchronicity like that that comes out at this, almost every year something like that comes out, you know, based on 2-2 on and the, groundhog day and and uh 
it's also St. Bridget's Day, you know, it's like, a, um, yeah, this is such a rich, um, it's, it's one of, obviously, it's one of the, the doorways, you know, it's like one of the, uh, the, um, uh, the cross quarterly dates as well, you know, in the, in the ancient sort of Celtic calendar, or Druidic calendar. Um, and, and also just the, I don't know if you guys have spoken about the significance for Ireland, which is when, you know, Ireland became a free republic, was, became effective in the year 1922. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, all that, and that was the year that Britain granted independence to Egypt hmm. um, and also established the e Egyptian-Sudanese border on the 22nd parallel, which despite giving Egypt their independence, uh, Britain continued to control the border for, for a long time. So the 22 is just, and that year specifically 1922 is a very significant year for the British empire. Yeah, that's great. You, you know how you were asking a lot of questions about details and things like that. I wonder about the Catholicism in this. Like, I know I was raised Catholic, um, Catholic. And so, like, the, the background Catholic noise, like, the, that's just imbued in everything that he's both utilizing and then also kind of making fun of, too. Mm. You know, so like at the beginning, it's almost like a black mass is beginning with it, Buck Mulligan. And then, it, and then it, in the Surtsey episode, it, it does become a black mass, like explicitly, like all the, all the yeah. words of the mass from the beginning are, are reversed, you know, like, a, and, and there's black goats coming out and sacrifices and <laughs> like it, it uh, so it, it turns into a black mass. It's like, yeah, you could see like somebody at that time or even now reading this book, it's, it could be really kind of offensive, satanic almost. But if you didn't have any of that background, I wonder, I mean, I still think you're going to find it meaningful, but if you didn't have the, the Catholic background. Well, even, even he, he has a character that, that, uh, is the same as us you know it's which is bloom like bloom goes into the church when when is that like uh that's the uh, uh lotus eaters episode i guess it is where he goes into the catholic church and uh and he's looking at the catholic mass as an outsider and 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 looking at it in his funny sort of analytical way and comparing it to uh, his vision of the the holy east you know like this kind of like a lethargic dreamlike like he's saying like oh it's it's great that they used latin because you don't really know what it it says and it's it's more like dreamlike because of that <laughs> he, uh, so it's it's almost you you come in with this book if if you're not familiar with catholicism then you're bloom you know you, you're uh, you're looking at it through his lens i don't know if someone could write this book now like Bloom is so like his characteristics are so perfect to be. So that's something I wanted to mention when Boylan walks into uh, 
the bar where the sirens are, the guy there calls him the conquering hero. Yeah. But then later someone um, calls Bloom the unconquered hero. Yeah, that's right. So he, he's, he, he hasn't been conquered through the entire thing, um, which makes him Odysseus, you know, like that's, that's why he's Ulysses. He, he, he conquers and we don't know if he conquers in the end, but he's, he's unconquered. Yeah. But like the idea of a writer picking, like that would be a really sensitive subject. You know, like the fact that he's Jewish is really important for who he is, but it makes him an outsider. But it also, you get to have the conversation about whether or not, you know, he is Irish at the mm. same time. And, you know, and, and that. And Stephen, too, right? Like he's, Stephen is purely Irish, but he's an exile and he's an artist and he considers himself an artist before he's a, a citizen of Ireland at all, you know, he's, he's like, <laughs> what can, I don't want to die for my country. I want my country to die for me, die for, <laughs> die for his art, you know, like it's, it's, he's total kind of Luciferian in his, in his rebellion, you know, it's like, uh, but I, I love the fact that, uh, yeah, Bloom's a, a Jew and he's a he's a uh, ad salesman and he's an outsider and he's a cuckold, you know, like especially now when being a cuck is such a like curse word, like people hate to be thought of as as being a cuck. And then Bloom is the ultimate cuck and he accepts it. He 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 approaches it. You read at the end um, that he approaches it with equanimity. You know, he accepts it. He's got a great character, man. I love the scene in the movie where um, they're attacking him as a Jew and then he's kind of mocking him and then he jumps on this truck and he's like, um, you know, got his thumb out and fingers up at him. And he's kind of, he, he basically gets the best of these, what appear to be, you know, or what are these bigoted kind of idiots. Bloom is sort of having fun with it all, um, at least in the movie. And, and um I kind of liked his uh, tenacity and kind of his metal in the face of that. He was sort of a trickster sort of warrior. And um, yeah, he's, I was, I was laughing a lot in that, in that scene. So. And I, I know, thought about cuck too, snore is like cuck, cuck, cuck. It's like, that's the word for our current moment. So that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He rises like Elijah in his chariot up to, up to heaven. You know, he ascends at that point. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the cool. one time he gets worked up, really. In but the then he, he, he congratulates himself afterwards about it, like how well he handles it. Like at the <laughs> at the end of the Naushka thing, he's thinking back on his day, and he he has a chuckle about <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, so what's the in the section I read? There's and it's in the movie too that I watch it. And by the way, this movie does seem just hearing your talk, your you talk, and even how it's cut with the overdubs of like the, the uh, free association. I think if you revisit it, maybe you'll, you'd have a appreciation, even you, Doug, because if you watch Bloom, I couldn't find Bloom. I know you sent the link, but I just went to YouTube and I have another, that site you sent me is Nor, by the way. I want to thank you for that. I've been watching, I've watched so many shows and movies, man, since you sent me that link to the Beatles. You don't even know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've watched everything. I watched uh, all the true detectives. I want to tell you that, that, Doug, because our my first time in 42 minutes, you were like, you and um, Will were like, you got to watch true, De true detective, SJ. 
and I finally watched season one after all these years. And um, it's, but it's because Nor sent me this this site where you can get anything and everything. <laughs> but I, I typed in a uh, bloom and it wasn't on that site. Then I went to YouTube and was like Ulysses and I found the 1967 thing, but you'll like um, that. So let me just, what was I going to say about, about it was um, now I can't even remember the point. I just love that scene with bloom. Um, and, and, and You were talking about how there's something about, um, I had the same experience when we, we were having a conversation with uh, David and he watched a film that we read the book to, but mm -hmm. he was able to convey the nature of the book. Well, that was, um, uh, that was Don Quixote, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and so like the spirit of the book was in the film and it was interesting because yeah. as David was talking about it, you know, he was having the same experience that we were, even though, he and then, the and then book. Doug, you came out and yes. said, I feel like Don Quixote is here talking to us. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, was great. Yeah, this film, it, I, uh, I think you'll like it, Doug. It does capture the spirit. I mean, almost everything you've described, it's there. And, and it seems to follow the order. And um, even the scene where Bloom's walking the, down the street and all these prostitutes are like giving them their pitch. It's like, how's your prick? You wanted to make it right. You want to make it rise. I bet that's all in the Joyce. I mean, I can, it's just, you can feel the language that they, I think they were very um, loyal to the text when they made this adaptation. Um, Zoe was also a, a good character in that too. She's one of the, the horrors in night town. Oh yeah, yeah, and Bella. The Cohen, older one that he kisses. That is 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 that the that's, one that? That's Bella Cohen, the the whore mistress. But uh, um, yeah, I think Doug's talking about Zoe. Um, She's kind of outside and leads him inside. I think. Yeah, tries to grab his balls and ends up grabbing his grabbing potato. Potato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's who I'm thinking. He kisses her uh, in the film. At least he gives her a little kiss, and she's kind of coaxing him. He stops with one one of them, and I guess that's Zoe. And then then he goes inside to, and then you have the the madam, and it's all about the money. And I let, let me let's turn here because this is the thing about the whole Semitism. Oh, this is what I was going to ask. There's a whole um, exchange where it's like Bloom knows that Stephen knows that Bloom knows that I'm not a Jew. What what is that about? Because is he a Jew or is he not a Jew? I, I'm, I'm still confused because of that one exchange in the chapter 17. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. I remember like he is a Jew, right? Like it, it's, it's all explicit that he's a Jew, but it, it's okay. like, I think, I think what the, what he's talking about there is um, uh, the fact that he's a Jew and uh, Stephen's not a Jew and it doesn't matter, you know, it's like, a, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, but it doesn't really matter, you know. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Oh, and I remember the line when Bloom, Bloom says, um, Jesus was a Jew. And that's what really turned, that was my favorite part of, the, of that whole well, scene. He, he was like, he also says, your God is a Jew. Your God is a Jew. His <laughs> uncle's was that a was Jew. Great. Yeah. Uh, was that, so cool. that, uh, okay, that gets into a huge thing, actually, which is, um, ties us back to the recognitions if we want to go there like that's a um but this idea of the theology behind 
Ulysses? Like what's, ha what's actually happening? Like um, one thing I was thinking about when I was reading it through this time is um, like, it's kind of easy to know what Bloom is thinking about during the day. Like what are the, like we all know when we go through our day, we usually have something or a, a group of things that's sort of circulating around our minds. And uh, with Bloom, it's, it's, it's easier to see. With Stephen, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult because his ideas are so in depth, right? But but one of one of them is this idea of um, the relationship of the Father and the Son, and and Father God and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then and then also the the feminine element involved, you know. And so it's like, a, um, yeah, this idea: Jesus is a Jew, God is a Jew. And it's the same in the Trinity. It's the, these, these are the same supposedly, but are they, you know? And then, and then I was thinking back in the recognitions and that's, that's the big point in the recognition. It's, it's homo usian, like the same substance and then homo usian. And these were two sort of separate ways in the, I guess the early medieval period of thinking about, or even earlier, thinking about uh, um, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Are they homo? Is it, is it, are they of the same substance, um, the same being, or are they like homoi? You know, they're not quite the same, you know, and, the, and there were different factions that split off. Um, um, but in, in the recognitions, that becomes a huge point because that's the relation of the artist and the counterfeiter or the, or the art forger, you know, somebody who makes a perfect copy of uh, a painting, like a famous painting. Um, are they of one substance? Are they exactly the same or are they like, it's not like the, the copied uh, counterfeit is not worth as much as the original, but maybe it is, you know? And so it's the same thing that comes in with, uh, with Ulysses. It's like uh, um, this idea of paternity, um, uh, the father as just um, having almost nothing to do with the, uh, the fertility cycle. It's just he has to be there to contribute a, a bit of sperm. You know, that's, that's all he does. And so it's um, Stephen muses on that and says, like, it's actually the father who's the biggest mystery in Christianity, not the mother. So you have this idea in Catholicism of the Immaculate Conception and Mary being this sort of untouched virgin. And so it's a focus on the mother, but it's actually the real mystery is the father. Like what does the father actually contribute or the father or the artist? What do, what do they actually contribute to creation? You know, um, We're getting now, go ahead, Eric, go ahead. No, you, you bring up a lot of really great uh, points and launching pads. And one is the idea, the Platonic idea of all of visual reality being a copy of the eternal ideal reality, which is the true yeah. reality. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you have Stephen constantly using this line in uh ineluctable modality of visibility is that what it is <clears throat> or of the visible um and <clears throat> another motif that's just 
throughout is this, uh, there are so many references to crumbling masonry mm. or collapsing masonry or collapsing walls. Um, it even happens in um, Bloom's vision of the Blue, uh, Blue Muslim. <clears throat> and it, to, to me, while I was reading it, there's a very direct, that, that's an analogy for this idea of metempsychosis and this, this idea of ambiguous identity and individuality. And there's so many moments of conflated generation between father, son, mother, son, um, conflated gender, especially with Bloom, the, you know, becoming feminine or being a feminine man. Um, there's, you know, and, and for me, all of that and everything that you said is getting down to what I feel is the core of the work and is reflected in its format, its style, all of its self-referencing, the, it, the media aspect of it that we were discussing, and this world, it's the world again that Joyce is creating, which is this self-referential as above, so below, as there, so here, that's like this amorphous matrix that's just expanding and collapsing on itself all the time. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know, don't know what else to say about it, except that to me that if there is a core to it, it's that. And that's why he focuses on the father motif, the death of the king, the coronation, all of these Western motifs that are embedded in all of these ancient traditions, which he is also constantly referencing. Um, and it's just so elaborate and somehow chaotic and ordered at the same time. I yeah, want to take it. Uh, uh, go ahead. Before go. you take it. Yeah, like, go uh, ahead. Yeah. I, I, go just, ahead to, just to yeah. get to his point. Um, uh, yeah, Eric, I, I totally agree. Like, um, so, so this idea that comes out the last two episodes, which is um, uh, Ithaca and then Penelope, and this idea of the suitors of Molly, you know, and that uh, Molly's had all these different suitors or different lovers, and and Bloom comes to this idea that uh, he's just one of one of a series, and not not the end and not the beginning, and that. Uh, he as a as a sort of father figure or as a male lover figure is just is just one um blip in this kind of procreative um cycle that continues and that uh molly as penelope she's even described as uh as as, as a mother earth um symbol full of seed you know like she's she's complete fertility you know and so the bigger idea, the bigger philosophical idea that comes out is, um, and I think this is Joyce's criticism of sort of shallow Platonism, is that uh, Platonism in thinking that there's this ideal realm beyond this realm, this realm of matter and and the physical and the body, the sort of sublunar sublunar realm, is that denies or, or looks beyond the fact that 
there's substance there. There's this maternal substance there. Um, Plato even calls it like, like matter, you know, um, matter of the mother that is um, uh, these sort of uh, lofty Platonists forget about the mother. They forget about the sort of goddess substance to everything. Um, and so I think his focus back to Aristotle and even Aquinas and, and all these, and, and, and Bruno, like Bruno especially, Bruno in his philosophy, he comes full circle through Neoplatonism and identifies the one with matter. One and matter become one thing. And so it's, it's a complete monism that, that Bruno is talking about. And I, I, I think that's, that is the, the giant point in, uh, in Ulysses and then Finnegan's Wake and maybe all of Joyce. So love this it. is, go ahead, if you guys, I don't want to, I'm, I've got some things to no, say. No, 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 I just said love it. That's okay, it. love well, it. Okay. okay, there's some stuff here that's coming to me that's like, especially with this last point, Bruno, and uh, that you're talking about uh, as of the material one, oneness or something. So let me just trace some of these thoughts. Um, so right away, I was thinking of this idea of the death of the author. So this is a Foucauldian concept of, um, you know, if we're in a sea of representations, is you might be one way to phrase this, you know, the images, the meaning, the literature, everything we inherit, in, inherit culturally at a particular moment in time, you might think about this as kind of a Gaian matrix or a mother maternal matrix. Often you kind of think about the, the, the woman and the womb as as a matrix that we're that we're encased in, and I feel like there's a way to analogize that to the representations, the sea of representations, uh, and so um, the author in that case might be thought of as the masculine, you know, impulse. But if that's if that's um, been submerged into this kind of sea of representations, this is the same question about um, the who impregnated Nate's Mary, right? That's the real mystery. What's the initial impulse? So I was thinking about this, and I think this gets us into the media studies. All of the stuff we're talking about media studies is kind of like this question, like what's who is doing the media, the, the, the idea chain? Who is the actor? You know, um, the, the mediatrics, yeah. the, the, me, the mediatrics. I like that. I like that. And but then this is the thing where we shift to where I think our current moment, see, this is where we have an answer, right? an attempt to kind of inject masculinity. And this is gonna, it's blockchain, right? Bitcoin and blockchain. This is, the whole purpose of it is to kind of tangify, make tangible, tangilize, whatever, you know? Um, and, and so like when you mentioned Bruno and matter, one matter, it's almost like this kind of mystical blockchain to kind of bring the sea of representations into the, a material traceable um, format. And so um, it's this idea, like, I don't know if you guys follow the NFT space, this kind of emerging artistic space that's connected to blockchain, but there's this idea of like, uh, I just right click and save your art and I have it. And then if some, the person that actually owns the token that's attached to that is like, no, they can sell it for the millions of dollars. So there's this kind of, it's like this same tension in our current time of, you know, there's the sea of representations, but then there's this kind of blockchained masculine that that is maybe emerging. And I, you know, I don't know where it's going to resolve. I think if we're going back to this this question about uh, Joyce and Pound, I think they'd probably be involved in like 
the uh, what was uh, coming to me uh, as well is like the cyber culture, any kind of subversive use of the internet. And so you might have blockchains, uh, this type of art memes, certainly, I think, you know, to go to McKenna, but we have literal memes in our current internet culture. I can see some like memification or Twitter threads where like Joyce is writing some strange Twitter thread with like certain memes or images, like it kind of all becomes a meme and you then publish through a blockchain or or like snippets on Twitter or TikTok as a way to, you know, um, use those forms to get the ideas out. But this to me is a foundation like idea we're confronting now. This is the big thing. I just it's like the blockchain is an attempt to materialize or masculinize some this this kind of sea of idea. And we'll see where it goes. You know, I mean, a lot of people view the blockchain as a kind of God. You know, like there's Bitcoin maximalists where it's like, this is the new God, you know, it's like the math is the savior, which is also very masculine, right? Math is just numbers, two plus two equals four, no curvature in that one, baby, you know? So um, anyhow, I just want to see, you know, where does Joyce fit into this? I, I mean, if you're talking about the, um, this, just what you raise, Snor, about where is the, the God, where is the Adam Cadmon, maybe like blockchain as Adam Cadmon. You know, that seems to me to be how it's presented often, this kind of original source, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how far we want to take it into that direction. Like, uh, um, Doug, you might have to, something to say. Other. Um, but uh did i shut us down sorry about that <laughs> broke the no, internet no it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's 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 a choice here if we go <laughs> if we go far into that well so it's or... interesting because the last book definitely was such that it prompted us to have conversations about the world that we live in you know um and this one is is keeping us pretty much in its world, even though its world is our world. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, and, that, and that's what I've been trying to do here is like, I'm trying to make it relevant. You know, how is this, where is this coming into our world? You know, and, and that's- Well, I think we important. enter into its world and it makes us better somehow. Like it makes us more, it, um, when we when we did the tunnel, we went into the tunnel with this horrible guy, but it made us think about ourselves. And so in that way, you know, it, it made me think about my childhood and my parents and, and the world that we live in. Um, and I think this does something similar where you you interact with your your true being a little bit. Ah, maybe I don't know. I mean, me... I go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your thought. No. So I was going to say that, like, I really feel identified with Leopold as I read this these days. Like, I, I think of myself in my 20s and want to be like Stephen. Um, I don't know. I definitely wasn't as smart as Stephen, but I can identify with Stephen. But I also think that he's so youthful. And now that's what's so interesting that he wrote this from both perspectives, you know, of his younger self. And uh, I don't know that Leopold is him, but it's definitely 
that older, wiser, like maybe a little more chill perspective on like, life. Like Stephen is a, an amazing intellectual, but he's also he's also very arrogant and and very foolish in a lot of ways too. You know, like it just um, and yeah, Bloom, like you said, he's more um, he he. he he has all these ideas that he's fascinated about as well, but he, he yeah, he, he has a, a lot more chilled, wise way of, of looking at things, you know, and very affirmative too. Like I, that's what I thought too, reading this time, um, thinking about my own inner dialogue or inner monologue um, and how it's similar and how it's different. And so I, I kind of found myself like, sometimes it's like Steven, I get caught up in ideas um, too much and then other times it's like bloom like just going through my life and watching things and going from one thing to another sensually basically but um, sometimes I, I find myself thinking like the, the narrator at the uh, at the Cyclops bar you know like it, just a sort of <laughs> sour complaining view of life you know it's like a, so it, it's, it's a, this time especially um, this reading of it it made me a lot more aware of my own uh, inner thoughts and, and realizing I'm nowhere near as pure as Bloom is. Yeah. Well, um, Doug, I was gonna say, I, I found um, this excerpt I was looking for earlier and it, it's once again along this idea of worlds. Uh, and I think it will relate to what you were saying as well, SJ. Um, again, this is Tyndall. He says, the world of Hermes may have been dead in fact, and, and forgotten by society, but to these poets, exiles from society and enemies of matter and machine, the world of Hermes was a symbol of their rebellion. That they desired this world is plain, but it is hard to determine the degree of their belief in it. There can be no doubt, however, about their belief in the theory of knowledge and the literary method belonging to a cosmic system less actual perhaps than convenient. Nor can we doubt that Hermes provided plans for replacing the incomplete world of science by complete aesthetic worlds. As organic as the Hermetic universe, the work of art need not hold a mirror to nature as the, as the esthetes said, but may replace it by something more like a world. It was no accident that Virginia Woolf called the work of art a globed compacted thing. So again, where my, where my mind keeps going with your question, which I think is a very honorable question of like, how, how do you replicate what Joyce was doing in today's world? Unfortunately, I still don't have an answer for that, but in my mind, it would be embodying the essence that Tyndall just described here. Um, and it, it, it's a, it's a, because for, for me, what's most important in Joyce is what we've been discussing, which is how he views our daily life and how he was able to portray that in his work. But the, the commentary and what it elucidates about our daily experience is to me what matters. Um, if that makes sense. So it's almost like it, 
Well, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, but I, I think that that's what comes to mind when I hear that, that question. And I, I would love to come up with a, an answer in terms of, you know, because if I did, I feel like if I did come up with an answer, then I would do it. And I would love to engage in that kind of artistic project. Um, but for now, I just love what Joyce is able to share with us. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It, my, um, actually, I, I, I sort of hesitated answering you because it's like a, it's such a huge topic to get into, you know. Um, but but one no thing, pressure. no like, pressure at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like one one uh, one debate that's coming up directly reflective on what you're saying about the blockchain is is this. Um, uh, do you know this researcher, Alison McDowell? I'm sure you probably know her. Absolutely. And I'm familiar with some of a uh, little, like somewhat familiar, yeah, with what's going on with her, uh, especially on so Twitter. She, yeah. Yeah. So she's having this big debate um, with people, I guess, who identify as being libertarians who are completely in favor of the, of the blockchain and the use of the blockchain to the point where... Um, Certain advocates, in, including I think uh, Glenn Greenwald, are advocating the use of the blockchain for poor children in um, Brazil, um, where they are hooked up to computers and they're able to play games, and and with these games they can they can generate an income for themselves, and and so the libertarians are saying, yeah, this is this is great, this is a way to escape poverty. And Alison McDowell is saying the blockchain itself and that technology is being completely promoted by the World Economic Forum and all of these top corporations. And that itself is tying us into the system that's going to end up controlling all of nature, basically. Um, and, and so she's saying this is a fundamental split in this resistance movement um, these two views on things. And I think um, that really goes with what you're saying about the sort of masculine aspect of this blockchain technology. And then her idea that we need to find, a, we need to get back to nature is basically what she's saying, get back to the mother and substance and, 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 and not think of this like ethereal realm, like <laughs> even like, even one of the the cryptos is called like ethereum you know it's like a this this idea that there's this kind of noosphere beyond beyond this physical realm that's that's embodied and that's sensual and and sexual and all of these things that that uh molly bloom is talking about you know so it's 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 almost like alison mcdowell is a sort of molly bloom character um in in, in this debate it's just really, I mean, it's amazing. It's a whole topic and I get it. And the Alison McDowell thing is a really, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's kind of hits right away at the core of the tensions here. Um, I just want to come back and, and speak quick a little bit to, I mean, it relates to both what you said, Eric, and what you're saying, Zanora, about, I mean, I think about an artist, think about just an artist. And if, uh, you know, there's two sides to the art, there's the creative impulse that almost that everybody has you know, we're all little artists every day. You're pouring your tea. That's your art, you know, uh, but you're rewriting in your journal, some free form stuff. There's some, you know, making sentences, using language, that's art. But there's this other component to like art capital A, which is 
and interjecting it, giving it a, a vehicle in the material world to deliver it to the audience. And that's what I think you might distinguish someone like Pound and Joyce. I mean, these are ambitious artists, finding publishers, getting the book into a, a form, you know, taking a seat or, you know, adopt, adopt, adopting a role as an artist in the community, in the culture. That's kind of different than just having a creative impulse, right? And, and any conversation about art would include this material practical side. I don't know enough about Joyce's biography to understand how he engaged with that, but I'm sure he probably had ambition. I mean, I think if, you know, he's wasn't like he was just doing this for fun in a corner and then someone found him and said, oh, let's, let me convince you to come become a writer or a novelist. But so it, let me just, so this is the tension, right, between the, the total right brain creativity and then as that then gets manifest in the materiality, what um, are the rules, structures, and how do you engage with that? One, to benefit the individual, but also to honor the art form. Like, how does the art form itself um, engage with the material, its material reproduction in a way that honors it and that allows it to, to propagate? And... And so um, this is why I think if we're now talking about if these people were alive now, and let's say they're younger, I'm 40, uh, Znor, you're in your 40s, Doug, you're in your 40s, I think, um, and Eric, you're probably in your 40s, I'm guessing, or 30-ish? Uh, 36. So we're all in the same kind of post-Saturn return, you know, uh, and, and in that second Saturn cycle. Uh, but let's say we, uh, some kid is 20, some like Joycean, the talents of Joyce and Pound, you know, all of the, and he's very artistically talented or her or a, a them, whoever is 20 years old in our current context. And they are trying to um, make that artistic impulse uh, materialize it in the way I was just describing. I don't think there's any doubt they're going to be engaging with forms um, that are contemporary. So they're probably not going to want to be novelists. That's on the outs or like a kind of like a, a Lynchian filmmaker. That's maybe they would engage that, but they're certainly going to be online and on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. I mean, they're already producing um, material, um, they're already materializing their creative impulse just because of the culture that they would have been raised in. You know, we're hybrids, you know, so we're like, we can, we're still holding on, like, I'm just going to read the book and no internet, but that's kind of rare for the younger generation. So I just think it underscores this idea. My main point here is that materializing the art is a, is a, is a, is a rationale as to why they would be engaging with more internet-based art, kind of new art, we might say. And then the other thing I just want to say is, yeah, on that debate, Znor, you know, it's so, it's so difficult because the kids are already playing the games, right? And so the internet technology is already this vast spider web network that's, that's colonized is my favorite word for it. It's colonized the attention. And I remember when it happened, it was right about 2012, when my attention became fully colonized. It's basically like I took the pill and then now it's in me, you know, the internet, it just kind of took over, right? And if these kids are already colonized by their attention, it's almost like, is it more exploitative to not pay for that, for that colonization? or to give them a ability to have payment for it. And I don't know the answer to that. It's kind of like darkness on both sides. So, but I can see the, the, the both sides of that. And I think McDowell, my problem with McDowell is like, it's already here, Allison. It's inevitable. I mean, unless we're talking about destroying the internet and going into some kind of uh, Mennonite or I mean, Amish, and maybe that's what we should do. But if you're not gonna do that, 
you know, resisting this stuff is kind of futile in a way. I think it's more about uh, working within it in a, in a methods of resistance within it, if that makes sense. So anyhow, those are just some thoughts, Nor. It's very complicated and I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think she's she's saying we've got to be focused on the power structure behind it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I see your point as well. You know, it's like a, I, the, yeah, it's just such a huge thing. I don't know if we, we want to go into it, you know, because it's like a, it, we can relate it back to Ulysses in to some extent. But uh, well, the big thing, I, I guess, to your point is like. Uh, um, how can we use I, I think if there was if there was a, a Joyce in this period and an artist on the caliber of Joyce and deciding that um, they want to use the medium at hand, which is the internet, I, I think that artist would be, like I was saying before, use the entire internet as a medium somehow, you know. Um, because that's what Joyce did with the novel. Like he, he, he took the entire novelistic tradition and, and put it all forward in multiple different ways, you know? Um, so I think, I think an artist on that level would have, would, would be doing the same thing with the internet. But then the other question is, um, can there be an artist, like one single artist? Is that just, is that a, is that thing is is that something that ended with the modernist period? Like this idea of there being one creator, God, basically that that is the master of his art. You know, like is that an idea that's finished? And so maybe maybe it's more of a collective project that happens, or uh, I I don't know. Like it, it's or maybe it's happening. If it is a collective project, then maybe we're doing it right now. <laughs> you know, we're a part of it right now. Um, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, um, that because of the nature of media today, that it's become much more two-way um, than previous generations. You know, jo Joyce published a book and that just has, you know, in the print many, many, many copies of that book. Um, but that's a one-way engagement. We're now doing two-way engagement in all sorts of different ways. And you think of like Wikipedia, for instance, that's, you know, in, in one way, it's just a different iteration of what an encyclopedia is, but in another way, it's very different. Um, it's a collective, it's the product of a collective uh, effort. Um, I often think of like a city skyline or just the, the architecture of a city is a good analogy for this kind of thing which is that you know when you come upon a big city it's it's awesome it's it can be daunting and it's incredible to think that human beings built it but the reality is it's taken thousands and thousands of human beings over generations contributing in all sorts of different small and big ways that have culminated in this Thing that we call a city which is very much alive and constantly changing um but to to get it bring it back to this the, the point um again sj i was kind of i i'm uh, i can't help but think about the fact that joyce while he was describing all of these different kinds of technology he was still just putting it in a book but you think about all the ways that it affected the storyline, 
like uh, Stephen being given something to um, to send by telegraph. So, you know, acting on behalf of somebody else, going to a, a station so that this message can be sent. You know, the fact that Bloom works in advertising and understands branding, and he's constantly looking at these ads as he's going around Dublin. Um, so it it very much permeates the work, and he clearly had a, an interest in it. And you know, Znor, you brought up some some other bi biographical matters where it seems that he had you know he actually wanted to contribute to other mediums, but. In terms of the work of Ulysses and his other writings, to me, it's that he captured the essence of the time, at least from one perspective. Um, and he, he captured the essence of modernity, perhaps. And um, so, um, yeah. This is where I, this is exactly where I see the kind of, I don't know if it's a tension in, in Joyce or, uh, or just a, just a hyper-awareness of, him being a creator god in the same way that he's one of the succession of suitors to the maternal substance right he's he's one of them one of the uh one of the devotees of the muse right and he realizes he is that he is the creator god he's creating this book or this universe within the book but in this book, and especially with Finnegan's Wake, he becomes even more aware of it. Is that like people? People ask him, "What? Who's writing this?" And he 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 was saying, "All these people I met at the bar are writing, and this guy down the street are writing it. All of these things go into the book." So, in a way, he is allowing the muse to come back into writing and sort of uh, um getting rid of the idea of, of him as a, as a creator God, you know? So I, I think, I think that's why some people think that he's, he's sort of on the cusp of like modernism, kind of postmodernism, right? Like he, so he is an individual artist in that sort of modernistic way of creating this universe. But in the other sense, he's just allowing this thing to flow through him, you know, like a, molly on her chamber pot you know like that's that is the language of of uh, of ulysses you know um, that's that's one answer of why he's going from uh from one prose style to another prose style to another prose style is that he's he's not in the book he's just he's just showing the the flow of language throughout history and how the flow of language is is determined by this other substance of of just daily life um, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's a really interesting point, this whole thing. 